Thank you for uh, bringing your Bibles with you today. If you have them, we're going to look at Matthew's Gospel this morning as we conclude this series we've been on during Advent called The Journey. And we have uh, identified the characters of Christmas and this uh, road that God placed them on in order to reveal His Son into the world. And today we want to conclude by considering the wise men, these magi who came from the eastern parts of the Middle East, we suspect probably from Persia, uh, modern-day Iraq. These were Gentile pagans, probably astrologer, astronomers of some sort who noticed some distinction in the heavenly, uh, the heavenly bodies and began to follow the star. And I'm especially interested in these guys because of their curiosity and their, and their willingness to go on an adventure. Everyone say adventure. Adventure. They were willing to do something really bold, really out there, really wild to pursue their passion. And we're still talking about these guys now 2,000 years later. It's not a, not a coincidence. So well, let's see. I read their story. Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read the first 12 verses of that chapter. If you have your Bibles, that's great. If not, we'll project these words on the screen for you. And as is our custom, I'll invite you to stand as you're able to hear these important words. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. They replied, in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. And verse 6 is actually a direct quote from Micah, the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. May God inspire us through this really exciting story. Uh, you may be seated. Thanks so much. Perhaps you've noticed that my voice is a little uh, uh, underwater today, so I'll do the best I can. This is... This is what you're hearing right now is all I got, so, so I'll, I'll do my best. Let me tell you about a guy named Larry Walters, 33-year-old at the time of this story, true story, living in Los Angeles. He got bored, and so he, he did something in response to his boredom. He got curious, and he got adventuresome, and one morning... Thinking that the view that he had sitting in his uh, backyard was not a substantial or a significant enough perspective on his neighborhood, so he thought if he just got some elevation that he'd have a better view of things. So one morning he went to the Army Surplus store and bought 42 used weather balloons. On the way home he also purchased or rented a canister of helium. 
That afternoon, with some of his cronies, his neighbors, they strapped Larry into a lawn chair and began to attach these 42 helium-filled weather balloons to his lawn chair. Larry was hoping to get about 100 feet in the air so that he could observe the neighborhood from that, from that height. He took with him a six-pack of beer. That doesn't surprise you, I'm sure. A peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a pellet gun. He figured that if he wanted to come down, he'd just start shooting the balloons, and that would allow him to come back down. Well, when the 42nd balloon had been attached to his lawn chair and he was strapped in as well as they could manage, his friends released the chair and to Larry's astonishment and indeed his friends as well, Larry quickly ascended to 16,000 feet <laughs> right into the traffic pattern of Los Angeles International Airport. <laughs> traffic was diverted, flights were canceled. Larry started frantically shooting the balloons, but in his, uh, in his haste, dropped his pellet gun, and it was gone. And so he was on his own. The only way they, they found that they could get him down was they sent up a helicopter and hovered the helicopter over Larry's contraption, and the down, down wash finally began to force him back down to the ground. Once he was safely grounded, and of course sighted by the police, a reporter asked him a few questions. The first one was this, were you scared? Larry said, yeah, is that a trick question? Are you kidding? 16,000 feet in a lawn chair? I, I don't know what kind of lawn chairs you have, but I wouldn't want to be sitting in one of mine at 16,000 feet. The second question is, would you do it again? And he said, no, no, I won't do that again. And the third question was, why did you do it? Which is the question, isn't it? Why did you do that? And he said, because you can't just sit in your backyard. All right, please stand for the benediction. <laughs> did you get the point? I mean, that's the point. That's it. That is it. That's the whole point. You can't just sit there. You can't just let the world go by. You, you've got to engage the world. You've got to be passionate about the world. You've got to be adventuresome in the world. You've got to take some risks in the world. You've got to be on a journey. You've got to feel like you're going somewhere and that you are somebody along the way. And Larry Walters really summed it up nicely. You can't just sit in the backyard. <laughs> Isn't that great? Isn't that a great story? Now, everything else I say today is going to be lost in your minds. But you'll remember Larry Walters, and when you do, just remember that it's important to be curious and adventuresome. It's important. Now, these three, three, three wise men, we don't know for sure how many there were. We're not even sure where they were from or what their professions were. We infer three wise men because of the gifts, three in number, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but we don't know specifically. We're not sure when they saw this star or what the nature of the star was. You may uh, be interested to know that in first century Palestine, most people had a worldview, you know, short of the development of, of teles telescopic technology and science and so forth and, and modern day astronomy. 
stars for a first century person were not heavenly bodies up there uh, representing other planets or other galaxies, that sort of thing, but actually they believed them to be the heavenly host. People in the first century Palestine believed that stars were actually angelic beings with intelligence and light, and they were constantly there surrounding them. And so it was a, an interesting worldview. So uh, the first readers of Matthew's story that we just read here from Matthew 2 would immediately understand the star as an angelic messenger sent to guide these faraway Gentiles to Jesus. And so these guys see some anomaly in the heavens and they begin to pursue it because they're curious. Uh, this story is, really is in four parts. And, I, and I'm just going to give you four we're going to just work through it verse by verse, and I want to just give you these four ideas so that you can kind of give it some context. Uh, this is not a proper sermon. Uh, this, is, this, is a, this is a holiday event, and uh, you may have noticed when you came in the parking lot this morning that the first service was already gone. It's because this is a holiday sermon. It's not even a sermon. It's not proper. The whole thing is just not right, but... But it is, it's the best I can do <laughs> under the circumstances. Here's part one. These guys were curious. So the word you need for your outline is curiosity. Verse two, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. So they, they're seeking a king. They, they know that there is, there is something unique in the heavens and there must be some corresponding dynamic on the on the earth in their worldview they see something in the heavens this must mean something else going on in the earth and so they have have extrapolated out of their own worldview the notion that there's a king been born and now that's pretty good they figured something out here and so they have come into jerusalem following the light that they had now there's a lesson in this that if you walk in the light that God has given you. If you'll do that, God will give you more light. Now le learn this lesson. This, this is the kingdom of God. This is, how, this is understanding the ways of God. God will put light in front of you on your path, which may just be the next half step or the next one step. And the reason God doesn't give you the illumination all the way to the end the blueprint for your whole life is because he knows if he does that, then you won't have to trust him and your faith will be weakened by it. So he wants you to walk in the light that you've been given. I'll put this, put this statement on the screen. Those, those who follow the light they have will receive more light. And so the challenge for all of us is to take the steps that God illumines just in front of us. Are you willing to do that? And many people aren't because... Gosh, if I take a step there, I'm not sure what to do next. I don't know what the next step looks like. I, it's, it's dark beyond there. And so I, I, I'm hesitant to walk into that illumination. But these wise guys, listen, they, they were willing to take just the, the, first, the first glint of light. There's something going on. They reasoned. And we're going to follow that star. We're not even sure where it's going to lead us. We don't know how long we're going to be gone. We don't know what it's going to cost. We don't know what the dangers are ahead. But we're going to follow that light, the light that we think has been given to us. And so they, they teach us the importance of curiosity. It's, a, it's an, important, an important thing. 
to wonder what in the world it is God's asking me to do and to be and to take those steps in appropriate ways. We, uh, we sometimes get bogged down and stuck and all tied up in our circumstances in life. And as a result of that, we lose our sense of passion and vision and purpose. We're no longer curious about what God has for us next. Maybe it's because we've been hurt or because we've been exhausted by life or maybe we've just lived long enough that, phew, I mean, I'm tired. I'm tired of chasing down the trail that God calls me to. All kinds of reasons for it. But the wise men, these, these magi, they model for us an authentic spirituality by the nature of their curiosity. So could, can I just nudge you a little bit to follow their example? Really, they're, they're, they're great. Here's the second thing, part two. Now, this is the Holy Scripture and the importance of God's Word in, in this story. <clears throat> Verses 3 to 6, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. A king has been born to the Jews. Now, Herod would be disturbed by that because he doesn't like competition. He's the Roman appointment as king of the region. And the, and the Jews in the region would be stirred up because they're looking for a Messiah. They're looking for a deliverer. They're looking for someone who will take them out of Roman oppression. And so the whole city gets stirred up. And so what Herod does is he calls all the teachers of the law, all the scholars from his cabinet into a room. And he says, he says uh, these guys claim that a Jewish king has been born. Do your scriptures have anything to say about this? It's a very good question. And of, course, and, of course, the scholars said, well, yes, we know. We know exactly where the Messiah is going to be born. Micah prophesied centuries ago where the king would be born. He'd be born in Bethlehem, which was this nondescript, nowhere place, which was close to Jerusalem, just five miles south and west of Jerusalem, in this little town called Bethlehem. So he, he quotes then from Micah in this passage in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. You, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. It's beautiful language, isn't it? So Matthew then scores an important point here in this second scene where we see Herod consulting his theological cabinet. Now, let me make the point. You understand the facts now? Let me make the point. I'll put this on the screen. I want, to, I want you to, this to soak in. God's revelation through phenomena, in this case, angelic star, this is not sufficient in itself. See, nature or conscience or even angels may illuminate your life, but there is God's wonderful, natural world, of course, in all of its complexity, but its witness is ultimately ambiguous until clarified by God's written word. We see the importance of God's word. Now listen to me. Any serious follower of Jesus must recognize the written word, the Holy Scripture, as essential to our faith. Central to our faith. This is the, this is the word of God. This is God's divine revelation to his people, instructing us on what to believe and how to live. Very, very important. And so... Here are these, these wise men who have gotten all the way to Jerusalem. They said, 
we've come here to worship your king. There's a new king being born. Maybe you guys haven't heard. And so Herod then calls the, calls the scholars, and they say, yeah, yeah. When he comes, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And the wise men say, we're heading to Bethlehem. That's a great, it's a great thing. Imagine how thrilled they were. These guys have no reference to Hebrew prophetic scripture, centuries old. They're Persians. They're pagans. But imagine how exciting it would have been for them to realize, hey, this quest that we're on, this adventure that we're on has been spoken of in ancient scripture. It's awesome. So if you're a spiritual seeker and serious about that, you need the Bible. If you're helping someone become a serious spiritual seeker, helping them to find a relationship with Jesus, then recommend to them that they read the Bible. If you're, if you're in a relationship with someone right now and you're trying to influence them for Jesus' sake, challenge them to read one of the four Gospels seriously. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, just read one of those Gospels seriously. Now, now warn them because if someone picks up John's Gospel and starts reading it seriously with an open heart, God will speak to them. God will speak to them because the word of God is powerful. And so we see the importance of God's word. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, the Bible will play a significant role in your life. Can I get an amen? All right. Here's number three. Part three. And the word you need is evil. E-V-I-L. Evil. Verses seven and eight. Then Herod, some of the wise men, secretly ascertained from them what time the star appeared, sent them to Bethlehem. Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found, found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, do you feel the evil intent here? If you, if you don't know anything about Herod, then you might just think, well, boy, he's such a supportive fellow. But let me tell you a little bit about Herod. Herod was a paranoid megalomaniac who regularly killed his own wives and his own children lest they ferment rebellion against his rule. At the time of Jesus' birth, King Herod was old and paranoid, we think dying slowly of both gonorrhea and cancer. He was, by any description, a despicable human being. Despicable character. Finally, even his old patron friend, Caesar Augustus in Rome, he was buddies with Herod, he said, and I quote, I'd rather be Herod's pig than his son. At a swimming party in Jericho, he once drowned the high priest, which was his own brother-in-law. As he approached death, Herod worded that no one would mourn his passing. His solution was to gather leaders from all over the country and imprison them in the Colosseum at Jericho, where they would await the moment of his death and then be slaughtered by archers so that there'd be universal mourning accompanying the death of the king. This boy's a piece of work. I don't even know what to say. He's, he's evil. This boy's evil. This is the man who but butchered the babes of Bethlehem. He's the one who gave the order, go to Bethlehem, murder every child under the age of two, just to make sure we, we whack this potential king. And you know that having been warned in a dream, Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus had fled Bethlehem, headed to Egypt just before the slaughter. Herod is the one who ordered that. Let me put this uh, statement on the screen for you. If a spiritual journey towards Christ always involves the Bible, then it 
also involves an encounter with evil. Now, this is, this is a eyes wide open point. Eyes wide open. I want to, I want to see re- reality clearly. Here's, if you follow the light, you follow Jesus for any time at all, then you will encounter the darkness. You all right with that? That's the truth. If you sincerely pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can expect opposition. Let me just say to people in the room who may be new to the faith and just getting more serious in your life about following Jesus, let me just give you a heads up. To new believers, expect to be hassled along the way. Attitudes in your thoughts and your relationships and your finances, it can be any kind of nuisance, like a flat tire. Just anything will come up. Expect to be hassled. That's, that's the way. The evil one plotted to kill God's Messiah. He will plot to hurt and destroy you. He sure will. He will sure do it. And so be ready for that. Now listen, having said that, we don't walk around in fear. We're not phobic. God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. While the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it to you in abundance. And so we're not, we don't walk around you know, flinching every time something happens. Uh, we stand full up, but we want to be circumspect, and we want to be aware of the schemes and devices that the enemy employs to try to dissuade us and discourage us and knock us off course. And so these wise men, not even aware that they were in the presence of evil in King Herod, <clears throat> were experiencing it nonetheless. And so if you're going to journey with Jesus, expect to be hassled. Expect it to happen, because it certainly will. Now, here's the fourth part, and that is humility and worship. Humility and worship. This last scene is really very nearly magical. It's just mystical. It's wonderful. Imagine these guys now on this great journey out of curiosity and through the information and clarity of the Scripture, and now even overcoming evil and evil intent, evil, evil motives, they find their way all, all the way to Bethlehem to Jesus. Now, probably the wise men were not there on the night of Jesus' birth, as the nativity might, might uh, suggest. It was probably days, maybe weeks after the birth of Jesus that these guys arrived. And they find themselves all the way to Jesus. You've seen Muslims pray. You've maybe seen this on TV or on the, on the web. And down on their knees and then foreheads on the ground. This would have been the posture that they assumed, these guys, as they found Jesus with his mother. They would have been postured like that, and with great humility, they would have worshipped him and then offered these gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Listen, these, uh, these gifts were the most valuable things in existence in the day. These things are still highly valued in the Middle East. And of course, gold is the standard <laughs> around the world. I mean, it has value. And frankincense and myrrh, these spices were enormously valuable. So these gifts were, were not tokens. These were big, big expressions of humility and worship that these, may, these men made to Jesus. And so we have much to learn here, that the observant, the curious, the seeker, these guys now become the finder. They found him. They went on this journey, and they found him. They set out to find this new king. They found him. They located him. And there he is. And they worshiped him. Uh, let me put this uh, statement on the screen. The central test of faith is that we humble ourselves and worship him. 
the central test of faith. This is what our faith is about, friends. It's an encounter which elicits awe and wonder and reverence and respect. It's about that. Do, do you have any measuring sticks for how you're doing in your relationship with Jesus? I mean, if I ask you, how are you doing in your faith? How are you doing in your relationship with God? And you, you, you might be very subjective about that and say, well, you know, I think I'm doing okay. could be better, but not bad. Something like that. The wise men actually give us a good standard for what closeness to Jesus really looks like. And it was through their humility and their worship. I can tell how close to Jesus I am by how intimate my worship is. My private and public worship of God, depending on how intimate that is for me, I can tell you how close to Jesus I am. How about you? And, 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 and I can also tell by how humble I am. And how grateful I am, whether or not gratitude actually fills my heart for all the things God has done and blessed me with. And so am I truly grateful? And the other, the other way that I can tell is how generous I am. How generous I am. So humility, authentic worship, gratitude, generosity, these are the expressions that we see embodied in these wise men and are good markers for our own lives as to how close to Jesus we really are. That's good preaching right there. That's good. It's not a good sermon, but it's, that was good right there. That, that was actually helpful. So all, all uh, six of you are still listening. You got something there. Congratulations. Let me, uh, let me end with this statement. It comes from Alan Chambers. And Alan Chambers is a great Christian author, and he wrote these words. He said, the beginning of strength in religion is passion. The beginning of strength in religion is passion. Unless you feel, you'll have little power to affect your world. One can, without passion, erect a life on this earth that is a monument to God. Hear the word monument. That is a monument to God. Without passion, you could do that. But a life which is a movement, hear the word movement, a movement for God has to be greatly charged by burning feeling. Boy, I like that. And, and, and this juxtaposed notion of monument versus movement, I, I, I identify with that. Let me, let me just say, I, I speak for myself, I, I am not the least bit interested in piling up rocks somewhere and putting a plaque on it. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, God did a great thing back there in 1994, and we're thankful for that. And that was a wonderful season in the life of our church and in my life personally. And so I'm just going to pile up some rocks, you know, like an altar to God and put 1994 on it. Just go back there and look at it, reminisce, and, you know, polish up the plaque, carry on that way. You can do that. I mean, you, you can build monuments like that to God. But I'm more interested in being part of a movement. And a movement for me is when I'm willing to appreciate what God has done in the past, but I'm not limited to what God did in the past. So that even though I've experienced God and seen the church experience God in seasons in the past... I'm not, I'm not limited to, to the expectation that God is going to have to do the same things in the same way that he did in the past. 
as we move into the future. And a person and persons, churches, ministries, individuals, families who want to be part of a movement of God, these are the folks who are willing to, to lay aside what's comfortable and predictable and steady and stable and actually load, load things up and get on a journey. Just like these wise men. You know, they left their language, they left their culture, they left their religion, they left their worldview, they left, they left their family. They left behind some things that represented what was comfortable for them and predictable for them in order to chase, chase a star. And so I, I just, I'm inspired by that. And I want to be part of a movement of God. Don't you? I want to, I want to know what in the world God's doing. I want to be part of it. I, I've said this before. We ask these four questions. What in the world is God doing? Where is he doing it? Who is yet to be reached? How can we be involved? What is God doing? Where is he doing it? Who is yet to be reached? How can we be involved? You know, we've been taking up this uh, Christmas offering for our children. and Cassie and some of her team were up all weekend talking about it. And we're just thrilled about that. Because when we ask the question, what in the world is God doing? God's saying, children are receptive to the gospel in North American culture. Where is he doing it? He's doing it in lots of places, reaching children. Who is yet to be reached? Lots of children in our own community. How can we be involved? Well, here's, what, here's what, how we can be involved. We're beefing up our children's staff, adding volunteers. The offerings through the Christmas season are going to help us spruce up the children's spaces. We're doing what we can because we've heard. We've heard the movement of the Holy Spirit saying that this is an opportunity, a window, a door of opportunity into the lives of children and their families. And we want to seize the opportunity because we want to be part of a movement and not just building monuments. Makes sense, doesn't it? And so that's an example of it. And that's what we're doing, and that's why we're doing it. Last thought. Some of you got Christmas cards this year, and you gave away, sent Christmas cards to others. And some of those that you received and the ones you gave actually had a picture, some depiction of the wise men. You usually see them, you know, three in number on a camel or something like that in the background with a star and that sort of thing. And that's great. And... What reads on the face of the card or just inside of the card is a statement now that all of you will recognize because you've either seen it on a card or received a card like this. And the statement is simply this. Wise men still seek him. Wise men still seek him. And isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? Wise men and women still seek him. So can we, uh, can we learn from the Magi and learn from them really what authentic spirituality looks like in these ways and devote ourselves anew and afresh to that level of authenticity because wise people are still seeking Jesus and these guys chased him all the way to the manger and they found him. How good is that? And so we will find him too as we walk in the light he gives us and willing to adventure for him. Amen? All right, that's all I got. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for this wonderful story. We ask that you would inspire us, encourage us, embolden us. Lord, as we uh, look into 2015 and this new year, we pray, God, that we might pause and reflect on how close we are to you. Are we truly worshipful? Are we humble? Are we grateful? Are we generous? These are the questions that help us, Lord. 
draw us closer to you. And, and Lord, help us to model the same level of authentic spirituality that the Magi did. What a great, what a great witness. And so we thank you for their willingness to go all the way to Jesus. Help us to do the same. We pray in his holy name. All the people said. All right, stand with us as we sing.